Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with John Harlow to bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles. Today, we will break down the Hellman's 500 at Talladega Super Speedway, Joey Logano's 20, or 16th career NASCAR Sprint Cup Series victory, and help him advance to the round of the, the third round of the Chaser Sprint Cup, making eight drivers advancing to the third round. We will also discuss the next round of the chase, as well as the dismissal of Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, Mark Trix Jr., and Austin Dillon from this chase and what they could have done differently. Also, Joe Gibbs Racing made headlines for their strategy at Talladega Super Speedway. We'll discuss that. Also, Kurt Busch, Kevin Harvick, little tempers flaring at the end of a Talladega race. Kind of a surprise from teammates there. We'll discuss that. Also, how do we feel about the racing at Talladega Super Speedway? Does it need to change? Does NASCAR need to make some changes? And a penalty pending for furniture or racing, or is there for a confiscated part? We'll discuss that, and we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280 here on Talking in Circles. But first, we'll talk about the Hellman's 500 from Talladega Super Speedway. Like I said, it was Logano's 16th career victory. He was able, John, at the end of that race to pull away, uh, kind of was in control of that race. It was a team Penske who's really, really focused on these super speedway tracks recently. Got out there t- today, or yesterday, excuse me, Logano. Team Penske really showed their muscle because Lasky led the first part of that race before he had engine issues. And Logano really went out there and uh, at, at the second half of that race led a lot of laps and was able to pull off a victory, a huge victory for Logano uh, to help him advance through to the next round of the chase. Well, Team Penske's won six of the last nine uh, stricter plate races, and Brad was just dominant until he got that trash on the front of the grill and wound up blowing up because they couldn't get it off when you're in front. You just keep picking that stuff up. And Joey, considering he set, the as Junior put it, the land speed record for a jack because he took the jack a whole lap around the track, came in, got rid of the jack, and wound up staying on the lead lap and everything, that's one of the things about Talladega. You can make a mistake and recover from it because you're going to get caught up into the pack sooner or later if there's a caution comes. As long as you don't lose a lead draft too bad and you're out there all by yourself, you have a really good chance of catching up. And one of the things that Logano and Keselowski both have done since they've been at Team Penske has shown their ability to make their way through the field on a restrictor plate. And the one thing that you have to take some sort of happiness in if you're in the Ford camp, everybody's talked about the Toyota engines, the Toyota engines. The Ford engines were up there all day. Ford had a really good race with Logano and Keselowski. Logano winning the race, Keselowski leading most of it. Both of the Richard Petty Motorsports cars were in the top ten. Ricky Stenhouse was in the top five. Biffle qualified well, got caught up in an accident. Ford had a really good day yesterday at Talladega. They really did. I, I think it's a, a very good point there, John. Brian Scott, his second place finish. That's the best finish. That's the best run we've seen from that 44 car all year long. He was he was very good. He was up in the top ten all day long. Stayed up there. They had really good race cars. Uh, and you mentioned Stenhouse, another guy who had a great race. We've seen uh, Ryan Blaney was up there all day long. We've seen. Uh, Trevor Bain's plate prowess with his Daytona 500 victory a bunch of years ago. He ran good here in the uh, May race here at Talladega Super Speedway. He was fantastic here. Struggled a little bit yesterday, got shuffled out at the end in 17th. But, yeah, the Fords had a really, really good day overall for sure. A couple of other interesting tidbits there was, you know, you had Denny Hamlin, who was really the only Gibbs guy going for it at the end of that race, finished with the same amount of points in this round as Austin Dillon, but Hamlin's third-place finish in which he nicked Kurt Busch by literally 
about a nose, that was able to advance him to the chase because if he didn't and lost that spot to Kurt Busch, he's out and Austin Dillon advances through. So uh, a crazy day for him. Austin Dillon fell right about a half a car length behind Eric Amarola as well going to the line. So it's that close, John, between the difference between Denny Hamlin and uh, Austin Dillon advancing to the chase. But it's that difference between uh, – it's swapping. Hamlin moves on. Dillon doesn't. Your thoughts on that? I thought it was the right way to go for Denny Hamlin. I think it was the right way to go for the other three Gibbs cars. Denny needed the points because he struggled at Charlotte. He had a couple issues throughout the chase, so he had to race. And Denny Hamlin's a really good plate racer, which he showed at the Daytona 500. Um, It was, I mean, that last lap, that last bit of a fender kept Denny Hamlin in the chase. If him and Harvick don't pull out at the second and try to make that move and get ahead of Kurt Busch, Denny Hamlin's sitting at home and Austin Dillon's making a round of eight. It was a great race on Hamlin's part. His team did everything they needed to do the right way. They were right there and did everything that you're supposed to do. Austin Dillon couldn't have done much better. I mean, the kid finished in ninth place. He was up in the mix throughout the day. But just the way you get shuffled out on that last restart, you never know how you're going to end up. You could be in third place to start the lap and end up in 23rd at the end of the lap just because of the way the racing is at restrictor plates. It really is crazy. I'll tell you another thing that was crazy, at least in Dillon's case, was if he had a better Charlotte. You know, Charlotte was kind of a bugaboo for a lot of these race car drivers, these race car drivers here. Even seventh for Kozlowski, the guys who it didn't advance. Charlotte was kind of a, a tough day for him. Kozlowski, seventh, yeah, that's a good run, but that's not what we normally see from Kozlowski. Usually he's up front in a mile and a half competing for wins. Obviously the big blow for him came at Kansas when he wrecked through the infield. Uh, Truex, he only finished 13th at Charlotte. Remember, they had a really fast race car there, and due to, due to the, it was in the daytime, him and uh, Matt Kenseth kind of fell back, you know, and obviously the blown engine at Talladega really hurt him, but not exactly what we see from him on a mile and a half all year as well. Chase Elliott crashed at Charlotte, and as did Austin Dillon, and that's really the, the bugaboo. You know, Talladega wasn't a big problem for most of these guys. Obviously, it was for Kudlowski and Truex, but for Dillon and Elliott, Elliott finished 12th. He was trying to get up there all day long. Dylan finished ninth, like you mentioned. It wasn't a bad day for him. Um, but really what hurt them, I think, was was Charlotte for those two. And that's kind of a, a surprising track. But I think within the day, with that race being in the day, it really threw a lot of chassis off, especially towards the end of that race. Um, and it cost some of these guys. You know, maybe Truex finishes a couple spots better. You never know what he has for how he races. Uh, how, that might push the limit here at Talladega. Same thing with uh, Chase Elliott and, and Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon finishes one spot better at Charlotte. He advances to the chase. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it, it's, a, it's a combine of these three efforts. Talladega, we didn't really see the big one, which was kind of surprising. Um, and it ended up with decent finishes for some of these chase contenders that I don't think we expected to have because Talladega was sort of tame for being a Talladega race. I think that's one of the things, Talladega being in the chase, especially where it was. There were enough cars that pretty much knew they were in good shape because the other guys had issues at Kansas and Charlotte. Like you saw the Gibbs cars, they rode around in the back. You did not need to push the issue. All they had to do was stay out of the melee, and they were going to finish. And you saw 28th, 29th, 30th, they were happy to be there and not a big deal, and all three go on to the next round. Um, I really think Talladega needs to not be in the chase because Talladega isn't racing compared to what real racing is. This is, there's nothing at Talladega that's really in your hands. You have to have someone push you. You have to hit the right lane. I mean, it's the ultimate chess match, but you're not controlling the board. Everybody else is controlling your move. And I don't think that's something that should be in the chase. I I don't mind Talladega. I'm not a big restrictor plate fan as it is, I mean, I'd rather they knock it down and make another Richmond out of it, but it doesn't need to be in the chase. I mean, it's too much of a wild card, and your destiny isn't in your own hands. Your destiny is at the hands of somebody else. You have to have somebody push you. You have to have somebody let you in. You have to make sure that somebody who isn't a chase driver doesn't make a mistake around you to take you out. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here. If you want to join the conversation on talking in circles, we're breaking down Talladega. 
we'll bring you Martinsville in a little bit here. Um, you know, I like plate racing. I think plate racing is good. I think the product on Sunday was is not very good. I think what we've seen where the bottom lane doesn't come in uh, at all, it seems like, and they just kind of run around the top. And I think that's the big problem. You know, there used to be, with the old package we used to see, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was easy to get up there, but, you know, you could go three three lanes, and, and either one of the lanes were really good if you had a fast enough race car. And I think that's the problem right now. It's just, to me, it just seems like a, a sort of one-group racetrack where if you go to the bottom, you kind of, you know, you kind of at the mercy of, of who's behind you. Um, and, listen, I, these plate races aren't going anywhere. That's the thing, you know. Um, as much as we'd like to say take your restricted plates off, that's a very radical change. It's a very uh, a change I don't think we're going to see. I don't think the drivers would like that. I don't think the, the, the racetracks would like it. I don't think the fans would really like it all that much. Um, and and most fans generally like restricted plate racing because it gives the underdog a chance because, you know, you see guys like Brian Scott who don't normally run up front all day long have have a great run and finish second spot. Um, you know, David Reagan, they uh, pull off a victory. Um, you know, Eric Amarola win his race. You know, those guys um, are sort of the underdogs, you can say, and don't normally run up front. So I understand where those fans come from. But, you know, I, I, I guess I see your point, too, in, in, a, in a fact that, you know, it's not no, it's completely different than what we do at, at every other racetrack. And that's there's no doubt about that. But I think that's what makes it interesting is that we don't have the same races every week. Um, but I do think we do need to make a, a radical change to this restricted play package. I wasn't a fan of it even in July race at Daytona. I think we had this similar discussion where we need to figure out a way to get the bottom lane going a little bit, and I think that would really help the product of Talladega Super Speedway. And I think NASCAR, I know they were discussing it, and I hope they do by the time the Daytona 500 comes around next year, uh, I think that they're going to make some changes to the the Super Speedway package. Uh, Your thoughts, John, do you think that we need to make a change to the package here? To be honest with you, Back before they did the tandem drafting, there was the old wicker bill. And I thought that was the best restrictor plate racing there was. They actually put a hole, a big hole into it, into the air, instead of everybody being in the same draft. The wicker bill, you could end up making some moves on your own and actually passing somebody without having to have four or five cars lined up behind you. I think if they go back to something like that, it might make the interesting, make the racing a little more interesting. But still, I mean, it's guaranteed to build you up into a pack. I don't want to see tandem drafting again. That was just like watching slot car racing where it's like, okay, I'm going to find a buddy. I'm going to huck up to your bumper. We're going to go as fast as we can. We're going to pass the whole field on the outside, and then everybody's going to come past me again. I mean, it was like watching match boxes where you determine who's going to win ahead of time. I think the wicker bill's a shot, but, I mean, when you have – 40 cars that are running within a half a second of each other. How do you spread them out? Mm. The engine isn't the determining factor because everybody's got the same restrictor plate on it, which is going to give them the exact same amount of horsepower, basically. Aerodynamically, they're, they're in such of a box that they can't really do a whole heck of a lot. So it's going to be up to NASCAR to come up with a package. But no matter what, the way they have it so boxed in, everybody's got the same package. That's like you said, everybody has a chance to win at this. You've seen David Reagan win whenever he was at Front Row Motorsports. And David Reagan was having problems sniffing the top 25 in any other race, Mm -hmm. but he wound up winning at Talladega. I mean, it's just something that, either needs to be fixed and I don't know how to fix it or it needs to go away because it well, isn't I, racing. Yeah, I think part of the beauty though the Daytona 500 this these last couple of years has been the fact that anybody can win it. And I think you know that the Daytona 500 is a little different of an animal. I like Daytona a lot better than Talladega personally because Daytona adds in a little bit more handling because the corners aren't nearly as wide, the speeds aren't are a little bit slower at Daytona than they are Talladega. And handling comes into effect there. You know, it used to be the racetrack was so warm, but now that we repaved it, that's not the case anymore. But still, for me, Daytona has all the handling characteristics toward toward a lot more than Talladega does. Um, But, yeah, you know, whatever we do with these plate races, you know, these old school fans, you, you, me included, aren't really going to like it because we loved what we saw back in the 80s 
you know, what we used to watch back in the 80s and stuff like that. But, you know, I love restricted play racing. I have admitted that. I think this is much better than, what, like you said, than the tandem drafting. But I think this product needs to be, or this package needs to be worked on a little bit. I think it's getting dull. I think these teams have figured it out a little bit. And I think if we make a few modifications to it, if we take this, this stupid uh, shark fin, which I can't stand on either one of these race cars, whether it's a plate race or not, take that completely off and kind of give these cars a little bit of less stability through the corners, I think that might help things as well. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. I think there definitely needs to be uh, some, some kind of uh, – the packets need to be modified here uh, at Super Speedway Tracks. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. Okay, John. We had four drivers miss this chase. We had Martin Truex Jr., Chase Elliott, Austin Dillon, and, of course, Brad Kozlowski. Uh, which one were, are you most surprised that did not advance? Um, I'm surprised that Truex blew up. Uh, Toyota very rarely has had an engine failure all season long. Uh, Kozlowski was a matter of he got the debris on his front on his grill and couldn't get it off and water I mean you cook the water you're going to blow the engine um, Dylan and Chase Elliott didn't surprise me I was surprised that Chase Elliott struggled as much in the first two races but I mean he he ran well at Talladega he did what he could but you had he he was so far back he had to win that race Dylan was a surprise that he was that close because he hasn't I mean he was enough to be there but he hasn't done anything spectacular this year. He's been between top top 15 most of the year. He's been relatively consistent, but he hasn't gone up and had his oh wow moment yet. Chase Elliott oh wowed everybody because he's a rookie and drove the way he did, but he's also driving Jeff Gordon's car and have Jeff Gordon's crew from last year. And as you see with Alex Bowman, you put – a decent driver in really good equipment, that decent driver turns into a really good driver. Alex Bowman hasn't set the world on fire anywhere, but the past couple, I mean, he's run well in Dale Jr.'s car. He's had been snake bit a lot of times, but he's run well in the car. He never ran that well in anything else he drove. I mean, when he drove for Tommy Baldwin last year, it wasn't anything spe- anything special to write home about. So, it's one of those things is it's the it's the old chicken and the egg. Is it the driver or is it the car? And the way it's showing lately, a lot of it, it's the car because you put Chase Elliott and Jeff Gordon's car and Jeff Gordon's equipment and Jeff Gordon's crew, there isn't much of a drop-off. You put Alex Bowman in Dale Jr.'s car, Dale Jr.'s equipment, Dale Jr.'s crew, there isn't much of a drop-off if they weren't snake bit. And you put somebody in... Not so good equipment. Uh, you look when Regan Smith drove for Furniture Row, he was a top 15, top 20 driver. He drove the Xfinity car for Junior. He was pushing for wins. He's driving low-budget equipment with Tommy Baldwin, and he's fighting to be in the top 30. That's true. You know, and I, I, to an extent, I think it's true. You know, Chase has led a lot more this year than I think a lot of people expect him to. Um, you know, I think Chase is a really good driver. He's done a good job in that 24 car. You know, I never like uh, hammering drivers for doing what they're supposed to do, and Chase has done everything but win this year. Um, you know, and when you look at it, again, it, it it's Charlotte was a bad race for him, you know, and so was Kansas, and that's really what hurt him. You know, he had to come out basically this weekend at Talladega and try and win, and I don't think plate racing's his forte yet. I don't think he uh, is as good as a plate racer as some of the other drivers out there just yet, I think he needs to do a little bit more learning there. And I can understand, you know, uh, if it's frustrating for him because it's a ve- it can be, I'm sure it's a very frustrating experience for a lot of drivers out there. You know, you heard Slugger Labby and Denny Hamlin's, Slugger Labby, Austin Dillon's crew chief, and Mike Wheeler, Denny Hamlin's crew chief, at the end of that race saying, we just want it to end. We don't want, we don't want to be here anymore. We just can't wait for the checkered flag to drop on this race because Talladega is what we've discussed before. It's so unpredictable and you're just waiting for that big wreck. Um, and so, yeah, I think Chase has done a very good job this year. But I'll tell you who I was most surprised about, basically because of what you look at from the mile and a half tracks and then his prowess on Tal- at the Super Speedways in Talladega. And that was Kozlowski. I felt, you know, Brad, I had him, you know, I think he could he could have won Charlotte. I think he could have won Kansas. And I think he could have won Talladega. And he was very good in all three of them. 
but just didn't have, you know, had some uh, bad luck uh, yesterday at Talladega and, and wrecked at Kansas. So, you know, that's what really did him in. And I was most surprised to see him because I would have thought for sure these races kind of played up into his, uh, you know, sort of his level. He's a mile and a half racer and a super speedway racer. You know, I thought maybe the next week, next round where we see Phoenix and Talladega, Phoenix and Martinsville, excuse me, we kind of see some beating and banging. I'm not sure Brad's as comfortable at those places as he is a mile and a half track. So I was really surprised to see Kozlowski go down. No doubt I'm, I'm surprised about Truex, too, because Martin Truex Jr., if you talk to everybody in the garage area, and Logano said this in Victory Lane on the Victory Lane show, I believe, uh, said, you know, Martin Truex Jr. was a guy we looked at every week and said he's going to win or he has a chance of winning. He he did. You know, Joe Gibbs Racing, even Joe Gibbs Racing cars said, hey, you know, we're chasing after Martin Truex Jr. Cole Pern and Martin Truex Jr. figured out something. But, again, you know, he had a bad – he didn't have a great race at Charlotte where they kind of lost track of of their mojo on the mile and a half tracks. And same thing at Kansas. And it just seemed like if they had finished better in those races, maybe they'd advance. You know, if he had two top five finishes, maybe he's not sitting here in this situation. So, as much as really points to Talladega and saying, well, if we didn't have Talladega in the chase, he's – you know, these guys could have really gotten themselves in good position, like Kevin Harvick and Jimmy Johnson did, um, to make this chase and better themselves off. But, you know, tough weekends at the mile and a half tracks really put them behind the eight ball, especially Kozlowski and Truex. Um, John, there was another headline for the Joe Gibbs Racing drivers coming out of Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. Uh, three of the four drivers, Carl Edwards, Matt Kenseth, and Kyle Busch, and, and Tony Stewart was even included in that group, um, although he's not a Joe Gibbs racing car, obviously, anymore. But three of the four drivers from Joe Gibbs Racing sat in the back and didn't do a whole lot. They sort of, quote-unquote, points race because they could afford to do that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that was morally right? Do you think that was right for them to do that for their sponsors and for the fans who paid money for that for, for a seat at that race at Talladega? What are your thoughts on, on Joe Gibbs Racing admittedly sort of hanging out in the back and not going anywhere? That's called big picture racing i mean it's not a crime to the sponsors because the sponsors want to be sitting there at the end at homestead with their logo plastered all over the sprint cup champion you can't win the championship without getting there and it was set up where all they had to do was finish where they did and they would be in good shape and why take that chance? It's sort of like when you're you win your division in baseball two weeks before the season's over. Are you out there pushing your guys all nine innings and throwing your starters 115, 120 pitches? No, you're just put a 75 pitch limit on and make sure they're keep them in uh, baseball shape, but you're saving them for the playoffs. Those three cars were basically locked in to the next round as long as they didn't get caught in a wreck. And the best way to stay out of the wreck is stay out of the fray. And they made sure that they were able to not get lapped. They were not in the lead draft. They were far enough back that the melee could happen and they could come drive through it and be in good shape. It was one of those things that there was no pileup, so they finished in the low 20s. Steve O'Donnell said this morning, they didn't break the 100% rule because they had a strategy. And if I'm Joe Gibbs, and it's sort of the same way. If you look at when Coach Gibbs coached the Redskins, if they clinched the vision with two weeks to go, they weren't running their starters out there the whole game. They were conserving for the playoffs to make sure that their team was set. And I think it was smart move on their part. If They played by the rules. They took what was there available to them. I don't think it was wrong on that part. For the fans who were at Talladega, they were more disappointed that Junior was in the booth and not on the track because the other 39 cars can go around the track and there will be people hooting and hollering, but the minute Junior gets in the lead, the whole place goes nuts. So it was more of a no Junior than being upset that the three Gibbs cars were sitting in the back and, most of the fans could probably look at it, look at the point sheet, and say, I understand that. That's probably smart play on their part. 917-889-8280, if you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles about anything we're going to talk about tonight, Martinsville or Talladega, we're reviewing the Talladega 
raced the Hellman's 500 from Talladega Super Speedway, race three of the round, of round two of the chase for the Sprint Cup. Man, I tell you, it's, I agree with you to the point where these guys, these drivers, Kenseth, Edwards, and Kyle Busch, ran good enough at Charlotte and at Kansas to put themselves in an opportunity where they could sort of stand back. And that was a strategy they kind of enforced all day long. And listen, there's nothing sort of wrong with that, I don't think. Uh, but if I'm a fan of these drivers, a fan of somebody who even, you know, and I'm going to bash Tony Stewart here for a little bit, I apologize because I know he's near and dear to your heart. But if I'm a Tony Stewart fan and I live in, in a Talladega Super Speedway area and I paid money to see my driver run his final race at Talladega and he went out there and did that on Sunday, I would have been very disappointed in him straight up. You know, you're out of the chase. There's no excuse for it. I know you can say, well, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get in a wreck. You know, Tony Stewart's got all the money in the world. His race team's got a million-dollar sponsors. I don't want to hear the fact that he's going to tear up a race car. I would have been very, very – and I understand it much more from the Joe Gibbs fact because Joe Gibbs Racing is racing for a championship. Tony Stewart's no longer doing that. And to me, for him not to go up there and at least try and at least get up there and give it his best best effort for a fan, that's a really, really bad mark from Tony Stewart. And if I walked out of that race town day, I would be very disappointed in my driver. You know, and, I, and that's where I have a problem with it. If, I don't mind it if you're points racing because you're sitting there going, well, that's what we have to do. I get it because, you know what, this, and this format has a flaw of that where, you know, you want, to, you want to talk about, you know, if we didn't have the chase, they'd be running up front. You're probably right. They probably would be unless they're up in the first two or three spots in the points. They'd say, well, we've got nothing to lose but win races. But Tony Stewart had nothing to lose but win a race, and he still didn't go up there and compete. And I was very disappointed in that. If I, like I said, if I was a guy, and Tony Stewart's got a lot of fans out there, John. I know you say it's, a, it's, a, it's an Earnhardt track, and you're right to that extent. But Tony Stewart's one of the most popular drivers in NASCAR still. And, you know, for him to go out there and do what he did on Sunday, I just, if I was a Tony Stewart fan, I'd been very, very disappointed. I go back to the interview a few years ago where USA Today played it this past week. And I don't think it's about bringing home a wreck race car because, like you said, Tony Stewart and Gene Haas, between the two of them, they have more money than you and I could ever dream of seeing. I think Tony Stewart being too two months away from having the rods taken out of his back played played a role into it. I think Tony Stewart running just one restrictor plate this year, one restrictor plate race this year, played something into it. I think Tony Stewart hates Talladega so much, and he hates restrictor racing so much, he figured, okay, I'll ride around the back, and I really don't care today. He just wanted those 500 miles to be over so he'd get the tracks and he doesn't mind to finish out his career. I, I mean, if you're sitting there with rods in your back and you've run one restrictor plate race with this package and you may not be totally comfortable with it, I'm looking at safety. If I'm, But then again, if I'm Tony Stewart, if it was like that, i get out the first caution and let Ty Dillon run the car or something like that. I just think that Tony does not like restrictor plate racing enough because that interview he had a couple years ago was so funny whenever they did have the pileup and they took out right. and said, I think we need to go back out. We didn't wreck half the field. The fans aren't going to be happy, so let's go back make extend the race so we can wreck half the field. And I don't feel happy if I don't go home with, four. I mean, half a million dollars of wreck race cars and let's do a figure eight and then we'll go backwards the other half of the race. I mean... He he just does not like restrictor plate racing the way it is. And they're, I mean, you've seen him with some of the drivers this year where he's not comfortable around them. He's not used to them. He doesn't like the way they race. He doesn't like the way restrictor plate racing is these days because Tony Stewart is the guy who, if you give him a chance to wheel the car, you saw it at Sonoma, it was him and Denny. And it was driver versus driver, not equipment, not somebody else pushing you. It was Tony versus Denny on those last laps. Tony Stewart is that kind of racer. Tony Stewart doesn't want David Reagan to be pushing him or somebody else to be pushing him. Whenever he was really good on the restrictor plates and you won all those summer races at Daytona, it was a different package where you could make Mm -hmm. a pass without having five people in line to get by you. He figures, what the heck, I don't like it. I have to put the time in. Let's just sit back here, bring the car home, and I don't get hurt. I mean, yeah, well, there are going to be fans that are disappointed with him, but that's the way I'm putting myself in his shoes. 
That's probably what I'm thinking. As a fan well, of Tony not- Stewart, and there was a boatload of them who stood up on the 14th lap and saluted him, he should have gave it a run. At least push the envelope a little bit. If he gets up there and mixes it up some and finds out that it's going to suck, yeah, then go back to the back, ride it out, and say thanks. It was a great time. But at least make some moves and try to mix it up once. Great. I agree, and, I, and I'm sorry, and this is going to sound like I'm trying to kill Tony Stewart. I'm not. I think he's you know, he's a first battle Hall of Famer, a great driver, and he's one of those guys who, like a Dale Earnhardt, where I look at him as a guy who um, is a true – True and true racer, wholeheartedly. He's a guy who, you know, if you you can put him in anything, and he he's as competitive as can be. And you know, I understand he's sort of checked out of his NASCAR career. I understand that completely. But I just thought he could have put up a lot better effort on Sunday. That's all I'm going to say. I just I was surprised. I really was. I thought he put up a lot better effort. I know you don't like it, and you know that's fine and all that. And, he might, and maybe the back had a little bit to do with it. But you know, again, I just thought it was a a from him for his standpoint. Uh, I didn't like his strategy at all. I just thought it was kind of you know, especially because your fans are going out there to try and watch your race and one last time say, man, I want to see Tony Stewart go up there one last time. Even if he doesn't win, I just want to see the great Tony Stewart at the play tracks one more time and give it his all. Uh, and you just watch your guy kind of just sit in the back and roll a straight line for 188 laps. I just thought that was kind and of it, injustice. I was listening. The there was a couple times he's been interviewed recently about because. Tony Stewart, as much as he doesn't say it, numbers play into his head. He wants that 50th win. But he also has said recently is he hates restrictor plates. He can't wait. I mean, the minute the first thing that happens when he gets to Talladega, he's waiting for the helicopter so he can get out of there. I mean, if I'm Tony Stewart and I want that 50th win, my shot's better at Martinsville next week. He loves Texas Motor Speedway. He goes down there and does a smoke show with Eddie Gossage for charity every year. He got he made a name for himself in USAC at Phoenix and drove the race of his life at Homestead. So the last four races are races Tony Stewart loves. And if you see him lay an egg like he did at Talladega this week in the next four races – then I'll say he's really checked out and should put Boyer in for, to finish off the year and just say thank you, go wave to the crowd, and uh, turn into Richard Petty for the next four weeks. But I really think the next four weeks you're going to see Tony Stewart digging, 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 doing st- any kind of pit strategy possible, doing anything he can to get that 50th win. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I just, again, Talladega to me was, you know, and I'm, I hate to say this and I hate to put, to look into the future and before we wrap this up here, but uh, you know, I feel like if that was Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt would have ran, and uh, so, or somebody else who would have ran hard, and it wouldn't have mattered the package. You know, they would might have been frustrated at the end of the race, saying you can't go anywhere. You know, we we tried, but we couldn't go anywhere. But I think they would have ran, and they would have ran hard. So I just think, as far as Tony Stewart's legend as a racer goes, you know, for me, somebody growing up and watching him race, you know, I don't that won't hit me as hard as maybe some of these newer people who really haven't seen Tony Stewart as prime and say, well, look what he did at Talladega. He kind of just sat in the back. Um, also, there was an incident between Kevin Harvick and Kurt Busch at the end of that race. Kurt, Kurt Busch, apparently there was a miscommunication. It sounded like uh, as far as Stuart Haas racing cars might have had a plan at the end of that race. Kurt Busch and Kevin Harvick, uh, they weren't drafting together at the end of that, that last restart there. It looked like and it ended up with Kurt Busch on a cool-down lap taking a swipe at Kevin Harvick's number four car. Um, and then Harvick getting out on pit road and taking a swipe at Kurt Busch's head while they were standing on pit road coming into his race car. Um, kind of a crazy deal because they're teammates. Uh, what was your thoughts on that whole Kurt Busch, Tony Stewart, or Kurt Busch, Kevin Harvick thing? Well, the minute the four of those guys were paired together, Remember, we always said there would be fireworks between the four of them at some point. Just surprised that it took three years. That's the first real in-house bickering you saw amongst the group, but it took almost three years for it. Kurt Busch, I guess, was under the impression that Harvick was going to make sure that Kurt had the better finish because Kurt needed to get in on points. And the last pit stop, Rodney Childers said, Kurt's good. I mean, for the last restart, Kurt's in good shape. 
go for the win. Because, I mean, who knew? I mean, if he goes for the win, maybe Logano, I didn't see how the points wound up, but it could have been one of those things where you keep somebody out mm-hmm. who could be a nemesis in the next round. So go for the win. And Harvick was going for the win, and Harvick was trying to make a move, and Kurt kept him pinned in, and Harvick wasn't happy about it, but then Kurt was thinking Harvick was going to fall back and push him toward the win. It just didn't work out that way. I guess there was some sort of miscommunication on the team. And Harvick was, I mean, if I'm Harvick, I'm ticked off whenever, and I'd take a swing at Bush. I mean, I wouldn't really swing hard, but, I mean, it's one of those, hey, you pissed me off because there wasn't a scratch on Harvick's car, and he gets the side taken off from his teammate on the cool-down lap. That's a, that's yeah, what pissed me off, and I'm going to let you know about mm-hmm. it. I mean, it was wrong on Kurt's part, even if it's a miscommunication. You don't take out your teammate's car because your guys, and if, if Stuart Haas does like I think they do, because one of the things Tony learned is the Joe Gibbs way, when they're in the shop, they're Stuart Haas racing. When they're in the shop at Joe Gibbs, they're Joe Gibbs racing. When they go to the track, they're the four different teams, but it's one group putting all the cars together. And I'd be ticked off about it. If I'm the guys in the shop, I'm ticked off. And Kurt better be buying everybody lunch tomorrow because there's a bunch of guys who are going to have to fix that car for Daytona next year. Yeah, you're right. 9178982802. Did you want a conversation on talking in circles? I understand both parties here. I understand, I mean, I, don't, I shouldn't say that. I understand Harvick for sure. I understand his frustration because um, – you know, to me, plate racing is interest. It's an interesting thing because you can help a teammate so much by staying behind them. And teammates mean so much nowadays, especially with this chase format. These teammates think that teammates are supposed to help you no matter what. So what Joe Goods Racing did with the sandbagging thing. They all said, you know, we're going to help each other, kind of, you know, stay in the back. We're going to help each other and kind of play our own game. Um, Stuart Haas Racing at the end of that race said, hey, you know what? Go for it. Go for the win for Kevin Harvick. And good for Kevin Harvick, you know racing up to the front and doing what he had to do. He already had a win. Um, good for him to go out there and try and win a race. I, I'm, I'm happy for him. Kurt Busch, on the other hand, you know, I know he wants Kevin Harvick to help him, but, A, he still got into the chase. And, B, you know, you're still at um, – you know, you, you're still able to race. It's not like you weren't – you know, something happened to you and you run out of gas and you need him to help you or, or whatnot. You know, you were still able to race and kind of control your own destiny as well where you could win that race – by making your own moves. Now, maybe he thought he had Harvick in his back pocket where he thought Harvick was going to work with him, and Harvick kind of left him high and dry, and he's frustrated about that. I understand that to a point, but to me, you get out and you talk to Kevin Harvick. You don't take a swipe on him on the cool-down lap, but that's Kurt Busch and that's Kevin Harvick. These are two, like you said, and Tony Stewart included in that group at Stewart Haas Racing, where they are the most passionate, one of the most passionate drivers out in those racetracks, no doubt on that racetrack, no doubt about it. And, um, you know, they're big personalities, but, you know, I wouldn't take a swipe at him. Now, Harvick, again, you, I'm saying Kurt Busch should do that. So should Kevin Harvick. If you're mad at, at Kurt Busch, say, you know what? What's going on, Kevin Harvick, or Kurt Busch? Um, you know, why would you take a swipe at him? What's wrong with you? So, you know, at the end of the day, I just think it's teammates, kind of, you know, hot-headed teammates just going after each other and, and racing. And, that, and that's part of racing where you're going to get mad at some people. You're going to get mad at your teammates even because that's the competitive nature of this sport. And, uh you know, I, I read some people on there saying that Stuart Haas Racing should take action against Kevin Harvick or Kurt Busch or whatever, you know, side you're on. But, you know, I think, again, I just I'd, – I'd like to see my drivers have some fire reattitude because it shows that they care. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that's – you can't really penalize them for that, John. That's the way I look at it. I agree. There's um, – it's just racing. I mean, they were fighting for – they were fighting for position. It was a miscommunication. They'll figure it out. I mean, they're teaming up again. They're two of the eight cars, and Tony will sit down with them tomorrow when they have the meeting and say, okay, boys, get it out of your system because I want both of you running at Homestead for the championship. Then if you fight it out, that's a whole different thing. If you're if you're at Homestead and you guys are beating and banging to win the race, I'm all for it. But – now, when both of you are secured in the chase to make the next round, don't play silly games. 
Agreed. I think that's that's the uh, strategy Stuart Haas Racing should take. And again, I don't think it's a big deal that they went after each other. It just shows again that they're they're passionate about what they do and good for them. You know, if I'm going to hate on Tony Stewart for uh, hanging around in the back, I can't get on drivers for wanting to win races and wanting to help each other. Uh, I can't. But it would have been funny, not funny, but it would have been interesting to see if Harvick and Kirk Kirkbush was able to get third spot from Denny Hamlin. That would have locked knocked Denny Hamlin out of the chase and brought Austin Dillon in. So that's something always to keep in mind. Of obviously, we'll never know if that would have happened or not. But you know, when Kirkbush finishes. Uh, nose behind Denny Hamlin for the third spot. Uh, you have to wonder if Harvick was behind him. Maybe he'd get that nose, and it would have been interesting to see if Hamlin would have missed the chase or not for that. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to join a conversation on Talking Circle, something interesting happened Friday, John. I want to get your take on it because I know you, you know racing very well, and I know um, we have strong opinions on this stuff. A bolt was taken from furniture racing. A jack bolt would look like was taken from furniture racing where they jacked the car up on Friday prior to qualifying. NASCAR said at the time that it was unlikely that the team would see a points penalty for the infraction. Now, something that it was the wrong bolt, it got confiscated by NASCAR, but it was an illegal part, technically. Um, but NASCAR said there was no penalty for that. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think uh, they, they should receive a penalty for that? I mean, I don't think it was that much of a, of an, a, a competitive advantage to have that part on there. But we've seen NASCAR and stiff. Look at Ryan Newman, for example. Ryan Newman's a guy who got two penalties for something this year that kept him out of the chase for something that probably wouldn't be a penalty in the chase, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about, but that's the truth. And NASCAR's never looked at integrity for something like this. They've never sat there and said, well, they didn't mean to do it, so we're not going to give them a – you know, anybody can walk up and say, hey, they didn't mean to do it. Not that Cole Pern's a liar. It might have been a. It might have been an honest. But usually that doesn't matter in NASCAR's eyes. Here it does. It seems like when NASCAR says, "Well, you know, we're not really going to see it." It's still an illegal part to me, you know. And, and I don't care if if it has no competitive advantage or not. It's an illegal part. How it got there, I don't care how it got there. It's an illegal part. What are your thoughts on that? I think NASCAR again is doing the stupidity move. I think especially with the way it was reported by Lee Spencer whenever it first came out, that it was a hollow jackbolt. And they even put out the rule where it said it must be solid steel. If it's a hollow jackbolt and it's not supposed to be, guess what? That's illegal. There should be a penalty. The penalty should have been on the spot if it really was the problem that it is. And it just seems like NASCAR, it's like the last two minutes of a football game when the referees swallow the whistle. Or like the the pass, the one the, at the end of the game, and uh, Richard Sherman ends up yanking the arm down to keep a completion from happening, and it should have been pass interference, but the referees swallowed the whistle. If it's a penalty... Weeks 1 through 26, it should be a penalty, chase races 1 through 10. And it doesn't seem that way. And if I'm Ryan Newman, I'm wondering, why am I a jobber in the WWE and Truex is a superstar? Because Newman could have easily been in the chase without the two penalties, which were minor infractions that they got yanked on. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden... Here comes a chase, and Truex gets pinged twice, and neither of them are big enough to be considered penalties. And I'm kind of thankful that Truex blew up because it wouldn't have put. Then NASCAR had been trying to explain themselves on Wednesday why this this uh, piece was confiscated, but it's not enough to be penalized for. Either it's yeah, legal or it's not. Right. That's why. That's why. That's why I agree with you. I think, um, absolutely. I think it's either illegal or it's not. You know, and that's why I have a problem with this whole thing. I think part of it had to do, and I hope it's, this wasn't the case, but I, ho- I think part of it had to do with they didn't want this to kind of uh, overshadow the chase, where they kind of sat there and said, "Listen, um, yeah, he had an illegal part, but we don't want this to be the talk of the garage area for a couple of days, so no points penalty is going to come." Where every time we talk about Martin Truex Jr. on Sunday, it was going to be like, "Yeah, but they have that penalty, so they got to win." Um, 
I think that had a lot to do with it. I hope I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not what Scott Miller and, and those guys at NASCAR thought. But I'll tell you what, I, that's what it looked like to me. And, and I know Colburn, and he came out, and I listen, I'm not saying he's a liar because he's probably accurate on this, where he says, that, you know what, it was an honest mistake. Okay, that's great and wonderful and all, but so was Kirk, So was Ryan Newman's penalty. It might have been an honest mistake. So was somebody else's penalty this year. It might have been honest mistakes. In the eyes of NASCAR, that didn't matter, and it shouldn't matter, in my opinion. Integrity shouldn't matter because – Again, if I do something illegal in my race car, I'm going to walk up and say, listen, it was a real, I'm really sorry. It, you know, it was an honest mistake. Is NASCAR going to say, oh, that's okay. You know what? If it's an honest mistake, don't worry about it. Where if they sat there and said, well, listen, it doesn't matter if it's an honest mistake or not, it's an illegal part. And, uh, you know, to me, this is even bigger than what Ryan Newman had. You know, it's an illegal part. So it's, an, it's something that's illegally on the race car. Uh, and it might not have a much competitive advantage at all, but, it, again, it's an illegal part, a part that's not supposed to be there that was placed there. They should know better than that. It's not one-sixteenth of an inch too wide on the on the corner panels of, of a race car. It's an illegal part, a part that they should know that is not on a race car that is there. Uh, that's why I have a problem with it. And for NASCAR to come out so quickly and say, well, we don't think it's going to be a penalty, I think what they should have said was, well, we'll wait and see. But I think the reason why they didn't is because they didn't want it to overshadow the chase. And to me, that's wrong. Like we've said a couple times, it's predetermining what's happening. I really don't like it. I think it's against fair play. I mean, you want to put the best race cars out there, the best race car drivers, and let them go at it. But you want to put equal – you want everybody to have a fair playing field. And the way they keep doing it is, okay, it's it's all – you remember the old Saturday Night Live – uh, well, it's probably before your time, Clayton. But when President Reagan bombed Gaddafi, or Gaddafi was saying, "This is the India, this is the Libyan line of death," and every five seconds, okay, this is line of death, and he takes two steps backwards. This is line of death. If you keep going up like NASCAR is doing, the line of death is never going to happen because they keep doing everything the same goofy way it's like they're going to keep moving and you give the teams and the car owners every chance to grow something if you say this is where um being illegal is okay we're going to go to that line and we're going to take two steps over it because nascar is not going to penalize it and we've said it many a times if they don't drop the hammer on somebody, and stay with it, it's going to continue to keep going as stupid as it is. It's just inconsistency, and I think the part of it is, you know, I've come out and said numerous times, uh, I'm sure you can go back in, into the show's archives and find me saying this about 55,000 times because I've said it so often, but I'm going to say it again. I think they should open up the rule book. I've said that for years, and I think it is too tight. The playing field is too tight. I think that's part of NASCAR's problem where we don't see um, the integrity or the ingenuity of the crew chiefs anymore, where these crew chiefs can't really do a whole lot because they're, such, they're so in a box. You said that at Talladega. You think that's part of the reason why uh, we don't see the, the great Talladega racing anymore is because they're so tight into a box. But those are the rules, and we have to play by them. You know, and, I, and I hate that they're the rules, and I can't stand it that they're the rules, and it drives me crazy that they're the rules, but those are the rules. And if it's an illegal part, you know, I don't care. I, here's my thing. If David Reagan's found with an illegal part on the race car, do they handle it the same way? Probably not. If Brian Scott's team found with an illegal part, do they handle it the same way? Who knows? But if it's a chase driver, a big-name driver like Martin Truex Jr., they handle it differently. And again, and I'm not accusing them of any wrongdoing as far as, far as they intentionally tried to get an advantage because who knows if they did or they didn't. I don't think they did. I think it was somebody uh, had a mistake who put the wrong part on there. Okay. But that should matter. And that's where I think NASCAR kind of dropped the ball here on this whole Mark Shooks Jr. thing. Um, This weekend we're going to run at Martinsville, one of my favorite racetracks out there, John. I think Martinsville, it's one of those racetracks that, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a throwback. We've been running here in NASCAR literally forever. Um, it's the slowest racetrack on the circuit, but it's the best racetrack on the circuit. It's a half mile wa- half mile long. Uh, you know, it's one groove. You got to kind of beat and bang each other to get around the racetrack. Um, it's 
prototypical type short track racing. I love it. I think it's a it's one of the best racetracks on the circuit. Uh, it's phenomenal to watch, and I can't wait for this weekend because it's the first round of a new chase. And again, it's short track. It's the only short track we have in this chase, which is a, a shame, and one of only three left on the circuit. Uh, how excited are you for Martinsville, John? I like Martinsville. I don't get over-enthused about it because, like you said, it's a one-groove racetrack. I wish they would adjust Martinsville a little bit, put a second, put a little banking in it, and give it a second groove. Then you've got another Bristol, another Richmond, where you have passing going on where you don't have to lay the bumper to somebody or hope that somebody overshoots a turn because otherwise you just got to follow the leader going around for a long thing. One of the things about Martinsville where you think about it is it's this time where the Hendrick plane went down. And for some reason, it just, every time that this week comes up, you think about that. The same way whenever they go to Bristol in the spring, you think about when we lost Alan Kowicki. Um, and this is also when you think, okay, Jimmy Johnson's in this round. Jimmy Johnson's winning this week. Because oh, yeah. they win at Martinsville. Him and Jeff Gordon could have a yard sale on grandfather clocks, and it'll go for two weeks before they get rid of them all because there are so many grandfather clocks out there. And I think there'll be another one going to Jimmy Johnson this week because Hendrick circles this track. Because they really do. This is a this is a bad memory for them that they lo- that Rick lost his brother and his son. They lost Randy Dorton, um, lost his niece. Tony Stewart lost his helicopter pilot. This is a race that Hendrick Motorsports circles every year. And don't be surprised if the old uh, hood comes out again where they have everybody's pictures on because it was the Hendrick Motorsports wallpaper today on their Facebook page mm-hmm. because today's the day that we lost all those folks in the plane crash. You can almost bank Jimmy Johnson wins this week. Now it's a matter of yeah. who ticked two off in the back of the field because there will be at least two chase drivers who are going to finish in the 20s or 30s who are going to have the deck stacked against them going to Texas and Phoenix because somebody's going to tick somebody off, and a lot of times they're going to tick off a non-chaser and – they won't be as blatant as Matt Kenseth was last year, but somebody's going to put a bumper to somebody and spin somebody out. You watch. There'll be two chasers out of this round who will go to Texas with a big hole. Now we're seven eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the conversation here on the last part of talking in circles, listen. I, I the reason why I like this racetrack is just it's like I said, it's a throwback. Um, and it is a, it is a Hendrick Motorsports track, no doubt about it. Jeff Gordon wins here. Jimmy Johnson wins here all the time. Jeff Gordon won here all the time. Jeff's going to be in the 88 car. I'm going to be interested to see. It's going to be his last race, and you mentioned, you know, Hendrick Motorsports' plane crash. You know, Jeff was a guy who was very much in his prime, and not to take anything away from the guys who are there now, but Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, and Jimmy Johnson even. You know, Jimmy, ran, Jimmy knows those guys. Jimmy ran there, but Jeff Gordon, the bulk of Jeff Gordon's Hendrick Motorsports' career – those people who went down that plane crash, the majority of them were part of them. You know, he worked with Randy Dorton a lot. He worked with, uh, you know, Rick Hendrick's brother a lot. He worked with Ricky. He knew Ricky Hendrick probably longer than anybody uh, that's currently there at the racetrack. So he, he'll remember that. Not that it won't hurt the other people just as much that are still there, but Jeff Gordon will probably um, have a very deep feeling this weekend. And, and for him to me, it looks like, you know, we said this last year, but it looks like to be his last NASCAR Sprint Cup Series start of his career in that 88 car. I think it's something that Jeff, um, he's going to be focused. I think he's going to try and win this weekend. You know, this is his favorite racetrack. I think if you gave Jeff Gordon the option of running this racetrack every time we come here for the next 10 years, he'd probably do it because he loves Martinsville. Um, and he, those are probably the only two races he'd run, but he loves Martinsville. And, uh, this was a race he picked. You know, they, they kind of put Alex Bowman in that 88 car, except for what Jeff wanted to do. Jeff picked Dover, and Jeff picked Martinsville to be out there. And I think Jeff's going to be another guy to be in, be interested in. But, yeah, you know, it, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be some 
Uh, track position is very, very important there. Um, I, I can't wait for it. You know, with that being said, John, you're talking about Jimmy Johnson trying to win this weekend. Uh, you know, there's eight choppers left in this chase. Um, eight to go. You know, we lost four this weekend. But, yeah, Jimmy Johnson, Kurt Busch, Joey Logano, Matt Kenseth, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Carl Edwards, and Denny Hamlin. Four Joe Gibbs racing cars, two Stuart Haas cars, a car from Team Penske, and a car from Hendrick Motorsports in this second-to-last round of the chase. Who are your four running for the championship at Homestead as we get ready for Martinsville? The four that will get there, just because Jimmy Johnson is there this week, Jimmy Johnson wins this week and moves on. Kevin Harvick will win at Phoenix. It will be Kyle Busch winning at Texas. And I think just through sheer consistency, Matt Kenseth is the fourth car. So it will be two Gibbs, a Stuart Haas, and a Hendrick Motorsports. If the other one that is a wild card is don't count Joey Logano out at Texas, but I think it will be Kyle Busch or Joey Logano winning at Texas. You write it down in the books, Harvick wins at Phoenix every year. I mean, he got his mm-hmm. first win of the year this year at Phoenix. He got a win last year at Phoenix. He didn't He didn't win the chase race at Phoenix last year, but he finished second. And he's always good at Phoenix. It never fails. Him and Rodney Childers have just found a home there, and if they could run 36 races a year, they'd run it at Phoenix. I think Johnson wins this week, and – the wild card is whoever, I mean, Texas, like I said, it's probably going to be either Kyle Busch or Joey Logano. And whoever doesn't win that race, I think Kenseth is the most consistent of the bunch and will point his way to be the fourth person. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because um, I agree with three of your guys. I have Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, and Matt Kenseth advancing. I think, you know, Johnson, like you said, Martinsville, I think this Hendrick Motorsports team is focused. I think they're ready to go. They did what they had to do these last two week- weekends. Um, I think they're ready for – they run great at Texas. You know, Jimmy's been here before. He knows what he's doing. These are great racetracks for him. Martinsville, if he doesn't win Martinsville, he can definitely win at Texas. He's done it before in the past. Harvick, like you mentioned, Harvick's – he's a threat to win at Martinsville. No doubt about it. He's won there in the past. He, like you said, he's a master at Phoenix. He knows what he's doing. Matt Kenseth's another guy to me where he can win anywhere at any time. That's what makes him dangerous, especially in a chase format like this where winning means a lot. Uh, he can win anywhere, anytime. I think he's a great race car driver at short tracks, even though when he was at Roush, that they didn't really perform well in Martinsville. But he's proven his time at, jo- at Joe Gibbs. He can win anywhere at any time. I still think he can do that. And I think Joe Logano's another guy, which would be interesting, Logano and Kenseth in the chase again. But I think Logano's another guy. He can win at Texas. He runs good at Phoenix. Martinsville might be a little bit of a struggle for him because – I don't think Team Penske is nearly as good at the shorter tracks as they are in the mile and a half tracks. But uh, I think Logano's another guy who's a great driver, who's got a lot of skill, who can go out there and win. I think he definitely is the guy to uh, make this championship run. About two minutes to go, John. Who's your champion here as we get ready to go? I'll ask you again before Homestead, obviously. But who's your champion as we get ready to go here? Martinsville, four races to go in the season. Who do you got as your champion? Well, the funny part is, whenever we first picked the, our chase brackets at the beginning, I picked Denny Hamlin to win it all, but now I don't have him going into the final four. I mean, I the big the big two that I was worried about went away this week because everybody could talk that Martin Truex Jr. has been the fastest car all year long, and Brad Keselowski has been very solid all year long. The team that I think has been solid throughout the year and hasn't blinked has been there the last two years. He's won it once. He's been a point away the second time. I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Harvick wins it again just because he's been that consistent. I'm with you, John. I really am. I think Kevin Harvick's got a great chance of winning it. I think he's going to win it. He's been in the, the Final Four the last two years. The only driver to do it, I think he's going to be there again. I think he's going to win this championship. That four team is very consistent. They, every every racetrack we go to, you pick that four team in the top five because they can do that every week. And that's saying that's saying something about that four team. They very rarely take a week off from being consistent. I agree with you. My hey, don't feel bad about your pick. My pick didn't even make 
uh, the round of eight, so don't feel too bad, um, or the round of 12, I should say. I want to thank everybody for listening and talking in circles. It was a great show. Uh, if you want to hear more of the show or our old shows, you can go to visit our Facebook page and our Twitter page, at Talking in Circles. Uh, you can also go to SpeedwayMedia.com and click on the link uh, there as well. We thank John Hollow for joining us tonight. John Hollow from SpeedwayMedia.com. And we'll see you next time on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.